Hey, welcome everybody. Happy Mother's Day to all your mom, all the moms, all the, if you are a mom, if you want to be a mom, if you have a mom, um, if you're, and I think Pastor Gabe said something, if you're a mother figure, meaning that you, you play that role in your family, there's so many times where um, you don't have children of your own, but your entire family, an extended family. I know Pastor Gabe is mom to most of our congregation here at one time or another, so we we, we thank the Lord for you, and we celebrate you on this day. Hey, um, I want to get into the message right away because I've got a lot to cover. Welcome if you're out there online or if you're in here in-house. Welcome or glad that you're here. And again, I keep saying it, but if you're on the fence as far as whether it's time to come back to church in person, yes, it is. Anybody here have any other opinions? Yes, it's time to come back. You heard the announcement, if you were paying attention, you heard the announcement about baptisms, and that's going to be our first uh, just outdoor celebration with a cookout. We're going to do hamburgers, and we're just going to have a really good time. That's kind of the formal kickoff, but let's start practicing now. Get back in here and join this body. Be here with us. We need you here. Um, All right, so let's continue in our series of Job. I've got a lot to cover today, so I know normally I don't cover very much. So today there's a lot, I hear people going... He doesn't? What? We're in trouble today. Hey, um, but no, there, there's a lot to cover. So if you're out there online and maybe you haven't heard any of the previous messages, go back to our website, uh, check them out, Facebook, YouTube, and directly through our website. You can look at the archives and get the previous messages. But we are in a, we're in an interesting place right here. It's a transition between, and I mentioned this last week, there's about a four or five chapter transition Between this back and forth with Job's friends just beating him up, beating him up, beating him up. And the reason they're doing that is not because they're evil people. They're only slightly misguided. What Job is saying can't, in their minds, be reconciled with what they see happening to Job. How many times do we have that happen to us in our daily lives where the things we know about God's character, the things that we've heard, the things we've been taught, the things we've experienced... Of, jo- of God's character, all of a sudden what's happening to us today doesn't fit in that box, and we can't make sense of it. And like anybody, like you and I, and these guys are no different. They have to reconcile how those things go together. As human beings, we are just generally incapable of going, I don't know, and that's okay. How many of us say that all the time? If we do, it's something that we have to struggle with. I know it because we all just, we just want to know. Job's friends are that way. So they're seeing what's going on with him, and they're trying to make his circumstance fit in their box of just what they know, of how they know God works in their minds, how things work in the universe, how God works, and it just doesn't fit. And that's the struggle. So we're at this point where Job's friends, they've, they've exhausted all of their air quote, wisdom. Everything that they can come up with to make sense of this is basically gone. They've kind of fizzled out, and and they're just sitting there going, "I I don't know what to say. And now we see this transition where Job is basically, if this were a courtroom, he'd be making his final statements, his his final arguments, and just saying that, and then he's going to hand it over, quite literally, to God and see what God has to say about this situation. So this is where we are. Job's been He's been steadfast. Now, he's wavered, granted, but he has never once gone over to the side to where I no longer trust God and I no longer 
believe in him, have faith in him, anything. He's, if anything, he's just become more and more um, desirous of, of a better relationship, not a better one, a reestablishment of what he thought was his relationship with God. He was used to hearing from God all the time, walking in his footsteps, essentially just having daily fellowship with God. In his, in his mind, that has just disappeared. And he's reconciling, like, why has everything I ever counted on just gone away? And he's struggling. So that's where we are. And he's, he's fired back at his friends. <coughs> Excuse me. Quick recap of the last, last uh, several chapters here. Here's, here's just in one scripture a recap of each of these scriptures. Job 26, 1 and 2. Then Job responded, what a help you are to the weak. Okay, that's his response after all of his friends have been, have been beating him up. What a help you are. And then he goes on with some more snarky remarks. Job 27, 11, I will instruct you in the power of God. What is with the Almighty? I will not conceal. Meaning, okay, let me tell you. Have a seat. I'll tell you how God works. Job 28, 12, and 13, but where can wisdom be found and where is the place of understanding? Mankind does not know its value, nor is it found in the land of the living. Great insightful statements like this is all about wisdom, and man cannot know what God doesn't choose to reveal. Job twenty-eight twenty-three: God understands its way, the way of wisdom, and he knows its place. Only God knows. Job twenty-eight twenty-eight: and to mankind he said, behold the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to turn away from evil is understanding. That's what he's been craving all along, is I want to understand what's happening here. And it's simply just to fear the Lord. Job 29, 4 and 6. Just as I was in the day of my youth, when my steps were bathed in cream, and the rock poured out streams of oil for me. He wants a return to those days when he just knew that he was walking with God. And he knew that he was doing what God had required of him. And because of that, he was just living the life. He had everything he needed. Literally, his steps bathed in cream. Just such a picture of, of an opulent lifestyle. And the rock poured out streams of oil. Job 29, 14. I put on righteousness and it clothed me. My justice was like a robe and a headband. So he's starting now to take a little bit more than his fair share of credit for the things that have been happening in his life. The good things, that is that have been happening in his life. And it's a, it's a dangerous place for him to tread. He's right on the edge. And now there's value in looking back at the good things. There's value in praising God for the, for the blessings that we have and looking at the things and the, the lifestyle, whether it's the, 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 the homes or our income or our family or whatever we have in our lives that we consider a blessing. There's great value in looking back at those things. But the point should be, not to take credit for those things, but to praise the giver of all those gifts. And again, this is just this, this fine line that Job is treading right here. <coughs> Excuse me. So this week, we're going to go into our last, it's last two chapters. Gabe, I have water right here if you could hand it to me. Thank you. Thank you. It's dry air with the heaters on. All right, next comes the sparkling water burp. So I apologize in advance for that. This week, all right, so this week, this is the last two chapters. 
this will be, this will be the last time really that we hear from Job for a while. Then he's going to kind of take a seat next week. Spoiler alert, we get to introduce a new character that you haven't heard from yet. And it, and it just gets better from here as we wrap up the whole book of Job. So Job has gone from the, the, these heights of experiencing God on a daily basis, hearing his voice, knowing he was in the right, on the right path, and having this, this wonderful lifestyle of blessing now to this depths, really, if you will, of experiencing what it's like to be without the presence of God. He's just gone in, in literally in a day. He's gone from that to the other. And so what we see here in chapter 30 that we're going into now, so we're going to cover 30 and 31 today. What we see now is Job, he's, he's just lamenting. I was in this place. My steps bathed in cream. The rocks were pouring out oil. If you remember from last week, he's like, people listened to me. I had, I had status. I had power. I had money. I had position. I had comfort and wealth. He had all these things. But now, the first half of chapter 30, verses 1 through 14, he's basically talking about how far he has fallen in the eyes of man. I once was... I was the man. People came to me, but that's changed. Here we are, Job 30, verses 1 and 2. But now those who are younger than I mock me, whose fathers I refuse to put with the dogs of my flock. Indeed, what was the strength of their hands to me? Vigor had perished from them. He's essentially saying this, I'm being laughed at by the children, not even the men, but the children of the men who weren't even good enough to sleep with my sheepdogs. He's saying, they, these old men were hardly of any value to me, and now even their children are mocking me. It's a dangerous place of pride, isn't it? To look at another human being and say, yeah, they weren't even good enough to be with my dogs, and now their kids are laughing at me. Again, it's this dangerous line of pridefulness that Job is, is walking here. Verse 3, he continues to describe these, these people who are mocking him. Verse 3, from poverty and famine, they are gaunt, meaning they haven't, they, they haven't eaten, they're not strong. Verse 6, so that they live on the slopes of ravines, in holes in the ground, and among the rocks. Verse 8, worthless fellows, even those without a name, they were cast out from the land. These are the dregs of society, right? And Job is saying, these guys are aren't even in my league. They're not even fit to sleep with my dogs. Now think about this picture that he's talking about here. This is a very real picture. Job's not alone. Remember, Job went on the outskirts of the city, went outside the gates, and planted himself in the middle of the trash heap. And you would think that he was alone until his friends came, and then it's just this little group. But in fact, in those times, the trash heap was a place where the dregs of society, many of whom had been had been homeless or outcast their entire lives so that they didn't even have a name. If they knew it, they might have forgotten it. Here's a picture. This is, uh, this is actually in Kenya. But these places like this, it's not a great picture, but the places like this all over the world where you have the outcasts of society, they literally live in these trash heaps. And they live there because that's the only place they can get anything to help them survive. And Job is saying, these children are mocking him, and, and the parents of these guys weren't even good enough 
to be with my dogs. It's just kind of a picture. So Job's not alone. As he sits here with his friends in this former place of high status, there are peppered all over people like this who are just living. That's their, their sustenance. They live in these trash heaps. Job 39 and 10. And now I have become their taunt, and I have become a byword to them, meaning just a, a, a catchphrase for, for Job. We still see that today, right? They loathe me and stand aloof from me, and they do not refrain from spitting in my face. Again, these people who I once considered unfit to even be in my presence, much less my, my dog's presence even, now all of a sudden the tables have turned and they're mocking me. So he's just lamenting how far he has fallen in status of the eyes of man. Even worse than that, though, is how far he has fallen from the favor of God. And the next few verses, 15 to 31, in fact, He's lamenting this place. I'm just going to read a bunch of chunks to you. Job 30, 15. Sudden terrors are turned upon me. They chase away my dignity like the wind, and my prosperity has passed away like a cloud. Job 30, 16. And now my soul is poured out within me. Days of, minis- of misery have seized me. That's the, almost the same identical lament from all the way back in chapter 3 when he's saying this had all happened. Job 30, 19, 20. He has thrown me into the mire, and I've become like dust and ashes. I cry out to you for help, but you do not answer me. I stand up, and you turn your attention against me. Hey, it's not enough to just ignore me, but all of a sudden your attention is against me. You're actively against me. Job 30, 21. You have become cruel to me, With the strength of your hand, you persecute me. You can almost hear the subtext in all these of him going, why, God? If you think about that, how much would that hurt? I've known you. I've walked with you. I've done everything I could to to live the way you required of me. And I I thought we were good, Lord. But now all these things are happening. Why? You can just hear the pleading in his voice. Job 30, 26. When I expected good, evil came. When I waited for light, darkness came. Verse 27. I am seething within and cannot rest. Days of, min- of misery confront me. Verse 28. I go about mourning without comfort. I stand up in the assembly and cry out for help. Verse 29. I have become a brother to jackals and a companion of ostriches. Now that's that's kind of a goofy little thing there. A brother, first of all, jackals. Remember, he's kind of absorbing bits and pieces from societies around him. Okay, in the Egyptian culture, jackals. Not only did jackals wander the desert, but in the Egyptian culture, jackals were were very prominent as as night creatures. Where it says ostriches. Now that's a translational issue. A lot of translations say owls, or sometimes they even say dragons and owls, depending on the translation that you have. The idea is night creatures, okay? They're screeching, they're wailing at night. This is what he has to put up with in the middle of the night. Verse 30, my skin turns black on me and my bones burn with fever. Verse 31, therefore my harp is turned to mourning and my flute to the sounds of those who weep. These instruments that had formerly been used for praise are now silenced. Through all this, through all this, we need to know that God is just powerfully 
refining pride from Job's life. If you look back at what we knew of Job's life going forward, what I taught in the very first few chapters, Job was was blameless. Even God said he was blameless. Um, But he was a good businessman, an upright father, a good husband. He, He was doing everything right, but we can clearly see through these threads, he had a little bit of pride going on in him. He had some some thoughts, I'm better than these people. Now, he was rightfully giving God credit for those things, but he turned it against those other children of God and said, I'm better than them. And we can see how God is refining that pride off of Job's life. And if necessary, he'll strip away everything he has to, to refine that pride out of you. That's what's going on. So that's chapter 30. Let's go into 31. Now, again, this is this is the literally the last chapter we'll hear from Job for quite some time. <coughs> Final arguments. He's basically talking about his moral convictions here and talking about how innocent he knows he is. Essentially, he's saying, I know I've been good enough. I know I've done the right things, and therefore, I know God will be with me. So he knows those things, even though it's not happening right now. He does know this. And, he, and the rest of this speech here in this chapter 31 is what's called a negative confession. Okay, it's kind of this pattern. If I did this, may this happen. Okay, and so the implication is since that's not happening, I didn't do that. But it's a common back and forth thing. If I did this, may that happen. Watch for this pattern. As we go through, a lot of people will look at chapter 31 and kind of think, Not that it's a throwaway. I don't want to dismiss it like that, but that there's not a lot of depth there. There's not a lot to look at. It's just another one of of Job complaining and and declaring his innocence. But if you look at it, there's a lot more depth here, and I want to try and pull that out and show you. Job is going through in his speech here. He'll be denying participating in the very same sins that will be declared laws against God later on. So by the time the law is given to Moses, which won't happen for quite some time, and these are actually put down, codified in in moral law from God, Job's already saying, I don't do those things. And this is before he's being told not to do them. That's not the society they had right here. It was, whatever you do, offer sacrifice and repent of it, and you'll be good. There wasn't a whole lot of guidelines on how to live your life, and yet he was doing it. So let's go through. Job 31, listen for the things that he has done. Job 31.1, Job has denied lust. I have made a covenant with my eyes. How then could I look at a virgin? Okay, so that's lust that he's denying. He's keenly aware that sin and, and purity go together, and it begins with your eyes. We see actually Jesus teaching that later on. Matthew 5 28, 29, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, but I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So if your eye, even your good eye, a lot of people miss that, even your good eye. What does that that mean? Because he says gouge out your eye if your eye causes that, but he says even your good eye. I missed that the first couple times I read that. Back then, they didn't have the kind of medical care we had now, so there were people walking around with eye patches. So he's basically saying, if you've only got one good eye, gouge it out anyway. It's better to be blind than to look at another woman with lust. Polygamy was also very accepted in this culture. 
not only accepted, but it was a status symbol. So a large harem was something that was very, very common. In fact, the more um, rich and the more status and the more comfortable you got, the larger harem you were expected to have. No doubt Job's friends, they don't talk about it, but no doubt just culturally they probably had that, whereas Job did not have that. Job had the one wife. <coughs> it was very common, not only among friends, but in the neighboring societies too. Job, Job here, he's not, he's not endorsing celibacy, and he's not even really railing against multiple wives. God's not requiring that of him either at this point. What he's saying, I've avoided excess in those things. He's, he's walked in the purest way that he could before God. Now, the next one, Job has walked with integrity. Job 31, verses 5 and 6. If I have walked with deception and my foot has hurried after deceit, let him weigh me with accurate scales and let God know my integrity. That picture of accurate scales, obviously judgment, you're judging good and evil, but that also reflects the Egyptian culture that he would have been very aware of. Remember, Job was a, a traitor. He kind of sat at a crossroads, and so there were cult, different cultures coming through on their way to Egypt and different places, and the Egyptian culture was very well established by this time as well. And Egyptian belief was that the heart of a man, at the time that they died, the heart of a man would be taken out and weighed on a scale. And depending on where those scales ended up, where it ended up pointing, then you would either go, um, go to the right place or you'd go to the wrong place. And there's this, this jackal-headed, have you ever seen the, this jackal-headed god, small g god? His name is Anubis. And that was part of Egyptian culture. So that's kind of what he's talking about here. Like, hey, weigh, weigh my heart. God, weigh my heart if you know that. Job 31, 7 and 8. If my step is turned from the way or my heart has followed my eyes or if any spot is stuck to my hands, let me sow and another eat. Let my crops be uprooted. He's saying like, if I've done these things, let all the work go to somebody else. Let me not even profit from that. Next, he starts talking about how he's kept away from adultery. Okay, so we've got... Um, he's denied lust. He's walked with integrity. Now he talks about adultery. Job 31, 9 and 10. If my heart has been enticed by a woman or I have lurked at my neighbor's doorway, may my wife grind grain for another. That's the picture. The, the women would grind grain. So he's saying, let my wife go over and grind grain for him and let others kneel down over her. That's a, that's a picture of, of giving herself to another but he's saying, if I've done this, let this happen to me. Job 31, 11, for that would be a lustful crime. Moreover, it would be wrongdoing punishable by judges. So he's saying not even just morally wrong, but even legally wrong at that time. Job is, uh, when I talk about laws not being in place, there were, there were laws that governed that culture. They weren't God's laws, though. They didn't have those kind of laws yet. But they did have laws on how to on how to act in their culture, and that's what it's against. So he's also avoided the arrogance that comes with wealth. How easy it is if you have wealth and you have status and you have this, it's very easy to let arrogance come in. And Job has strived all throughout his life to treat others with humility and respect. So this idea, I'm going to read 31, 13 to 15. He talks about racism, discrimination, arrogance, pridefulness, all wrapped up in this little chunk right here. 
Again, Job 31, 13 to 15, if I have rejected the claim of my male or female slaves when they filed a complaint against me, what then could I do when God arises? And when he calls me to account, how am I to answer him? Did he who made me in the womb not make him and the same one create us in the womb? He's saying, I've, if I have failed to treat my slaves, clearly in that culture, it was okay. If I have treated them unfairly, the same God that made me made them. And the same God that will judge them will judge me. And I've done that. Next, I've always, Job has always helped the poor, the widows, the orphans. I remember from James much, much later, obviously, James 1.27, James says, Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and keep oneself unsustained by the world. In a nutshell, he's going back to talk about what Job had already been living by. Job 31.16, If I have kept the poor from their desire or have caused the eyes of the widows to fail, the eyes to fail, that's if I've caused them to lose hope is what that means. Job 31, 17 to 21. Or have eaten any morsel alone, and the orphan has not shared it. If I have seen anyone perish for lack of clothing, or that the needy had no covering, if his waist has not thanked me, meaning if, if he's not well fed. My waist is thanking God just about every, every day. See, I'm living the Bible. We're all living the Bible. We don't even know it. My waist is literally thanking God. Verse 20, if his waist does not thank me and if he has not been warmed by the fleece of my sheep, if I have lifted up my hand against the orphan because I saw I had support at the gate, meaning he, he knows that the judges or the, the popular culture would support whatever his decision and, and if he's done anything against orphans, even knowing that he'd be supported because he was in the right, he hasn't done it. Job 31, 22, may my shoulder fall from its socket and my arm be broken off at the elbow. That's kind of harsh. But sitting there on the trash heap, he's not far from that, right? Next, he's avoided greed and the love of money. Some Later on, it would be called the spirit of mammon. But this greed and the love of money, Job 31, 24, 25, if I have put my confidence in gold and called fine gold my trust, if I have gloated because my wealth was great and because my hand had obtained so much. And then he goes on to this idea of sun and moon worship, astrological worship, which is, again, very common in the surrounding cultures. Job 31, 26, 27, If I have looked at the sun when it shone or the moon glowing in splendor and my heart was secretly enticed, and my hand threw a kiss from my mouth. Hand throwing a kiss, that was a, a sign of worship then. So they would literally blow a kiss to the sun or to the moon as a sign of worship. Job 31, 26, 27. That too would have been a, deed, a guilty deed calling for judgment, for I would have denied God above. He's recognizing God is a creator of everything. And to worship anything other than him is idolatry. He's saying, I didn't do that. He's been quick to forgive. He's rejected bitterness. Job 31, 29, 30. Have I rejoiced at the misfortunes of my enemy or become excited when evil found him? No, I have not allowed my mouth to sin by asking for his life in a curse. Again, Job's quick to forgive, quick to reject bitterness. Precepts that he has lived his life by. He had practiced hospitality to strangers. Remember, much later... 
when the law is given, in Leviticus 19, 33, 34, it says, when a stranger resides with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. The stranger who resides with you shall be to you as one native among you, and you shall love him as yourself. For you are strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. That came down in Leviticus. Job didn't have that yet, but he still lived by that. Job 31, 31 and 32. Have the people of my tent not said, who can find one who has not been satisfied with his meat? The stranger has not spent the night outside, for I have opened my doors to the traveler. He's done everything to give hospitality to those traveling through. He's been quick to repent of sin, which again we see later, 1 John 1.19. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous so that he will forgive our sins and cleanse us from unrighteousness. John wrote that thousands of years later, and here Job is echoing that same thing. Job 31, 33. Have I covered my wrongdoings like a man by hiding my guilt in my shirt pocket? It's a, it's a poetic language. A man translates literally as the word Adam. So have I hidden my wrongdoings like Adam? Did he try and cover them? Remember the fig leaf? And pretend that that didn't happen? No. He didn't hide it. He got it out there. He had made a habit of good stewardship, fair business ethics, and fair dealing with employees in the next few verses. Verse 38, if my land cries out against me and its furrows weep together. So that's stewardship of the land. Verse 39, if I have eaten its fruit without money or have caused its owners to lose their lives. That's fair business ethics because there are many cases if somebody couldn't pay a bill, you could literally take their land, take their crops and their livelihood from them. Job hadn't done that. Verse 40, May the thorn bush grow instead of wheat and stinkweed instead of barley. Meaning all, the, all this blessing I had from these fruitful crops, if I've done any of those things, let it all go away. And finally, the very last verse, verse 40, the second half, the words of Job are ended. I didn't hear applause. I thought I might hear applause, but that's okay. <coughs> that's okay. You go, whew, Job's done. Remember now. Job's declaring, he's in this place where he's declaring his moral convictions and, and really declaring his moral high ground. I've been good enough. I've done everything God has asked me to do. I've done everything the right way, so I know that God will be with me. And he's got no doubt. At this point, he is steadfast. He's saying, this is terrible. I don't get it. I've fallen from this high place. But he's not in this place of blaming God anymore. Although he's taken a little bit too much credit for his former good status, he's got no doubt. See, Satan will always search out the cracks, and he's no different here. Trying to make ways, trying to entice Job to turn against God. Trying to get Job in this place where he's going to turn against God and say, what good are you? If I'm living this, I don't want any part of what you got to offer. And Job has been steadfast against that. The question that I have for you guys, can we, I'll make it more personal, can you, wherever you are, have that same level of conviction that you could stand blameless before God? When things happen to you, bad things happen, like they are to Job, can you say, I know this isn't because of something I've done? Can you? It's a rhetorical question, trick question. Because we know we can't. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's why we need Jesus. See, Job is a, he's a 
biblical hero because he did so good, so close, without having the Holy Spirit, without having the redemption that Jesus offers, and he was so close. Without God's grace, though, he would have no chance at redemption. He couldn't earn it on his own. He couldn't claw himself back into that place. Job's friends didn't stand a chance. They weren't even close to the level that Job was, and even Job was so far below what he could earn on his own. We find out later that his friends are only end up being justified by Job's prayers, the prayers of a righteous man. All Job knew is that he had to do the right thing the right way at the right time. That's how he atoned for his sins and the sins of his children. He didn't have the law. He didn't have any old covenant, bless you. He didn't have any new covenant, bless you again. He didn't have any of those things. All he had was this idea that I need to do the best I can. And the best that he could, the things that he led, led his life by, really lined up with how God wanted him to live. He still strayed a little bit. He was not perfect. Only Jesus was perfect. But human beings on our own, and Job's no exception, will fail more often than not. More often than not, we are not going to get it right. The blood of Christ is literally the only way for redemption. It's literally the only way. And I I want to ask you this. This is such a common discussion that's going on right now through times of COVID. People, do you think this is the end of times? Do you think that things are accelerating? Do you think the biblical prophecies about end times and revelation are are coming to be right now? Do you think, yes, I do. Does that mean it's tomorrow or the next day or next year or next? I don't know. Nobody knows that, but no matter what you think, whether it's like it's happening now, I'm expecting, I'm expecting Jesus' return today. If that's you, then that's fine. But if you're maybe decades, maybe after your lifetime is when you expect Jesus to return, no matter where you fall on that scale, we have to know time is drawing shorter every day. Would you agree with that? No matter what the time frame is, Every day is one less day that we have. And the bride of Christ, that's us, that's you, needs to be ready. We need to be ready for the return of the bridegroom, the marriage supper of the Lamb. And as he nears his return, we need to remain spotless. The only way that we can do that is through the blood of Christ and the redemption that's offered there. It's the only way. Ephesians 5.27, just to remind you, that he might present to himself, this is Christ, the church in all her glory. The church is us. It's not a building. It's his people. Having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So how does this tie into what Job is going through? Here's what it is. The trials of this life, the things that we go through, The good, the bad, the in-between, but especially the bad, the trials, the things that we have to grit our teeth and try and, and navigate with the help of the Holy Spirit, especially those are fuel for the fire that is here to burn away anything that doesn't belong there. Any impurity 
is being, is being burned away, is being refined so that, so that we can emerge as the bride, spotless and ready for the return of our bridegroom. So here's what I want to say, and this is something that the Lord convicted me of, and there may be, there may be people who are offended by this, but I have to say this, church, we cannot waste time. Again, whether you think time is short or time is long, we can all agree it's getting shorter every day. And we cannot afford to waste time railing against the things of this world. We cannot. The trials of this world are going to continue to happen. Not only are they going to continue to happen, they're going to continue to be more and more and more. So if you're saying, when is an end to this, to this political situation? Where is an end to this racial situation, to this and that? There's not an end until Jesus returns. So if you're waiting, as soon as things calm down, I'll go ahead and refocus on Jesus Christ. The time is too short for that, church. The time is too short. We cannot fall in step with those people who would spend their days searching for a worldly solution to spiritual problems. What's wrong with the world is not a politician or a political party or an economic system. What's wrong with the world is that Satan has too much say in our lives right now. And so if you're one of those people, I know some very good people, good friends who spend all day long if not literally all day long, way too much time railing against what's wrong with the world. Post after post after post on social media, every conversation is wrapped up in how terrible things are right now. Church, let's not focus on the darkness. Let's focus on bringing the light. And if you're spending a day or too much time like Don Quixote tilting at windmills, worrying about the latest conspiracy theory or grievance, church, let me tell you right now, friends, I don't want to hear it. I don't need your emails saying, here's the latest conspiracy theory. I don't need that. My eyes are focused on Jesus, and that's where I need to be to pastor this church, and I would implore you, be aware. Being aware of the things going on in the world is important. We need to be aware, especially of the schemes of the enemy that we can see so that we can stand against them, not to get wrapped up in them and spun up in the turmoil. Please, church, as, as things draw near, we need to draw near to Jesus Christ and not fall in step with the things of this world. I have no confidence in my own wisdom, my own ability to look at the things going on and figure it out. And if you do, find somebody who can change things and give them that wisdom. Because I don't think anybody has enough wisdom, strength, or righteousness to figure out what's going on in the world today. We know that our Redeemer lives. And we know that when he returns, our job is to not say, look, Jesus, we figured it out. It's to say, we have kept ourselves pure. We have kept ourselves holy, and we are ready for you. Amen? <clears throat> I want to pray, 
we wrap up this message, I felt led, it's Psalm 103. Psalm 103 is, it's a little bit longer, but I want to read and pray over us together the first 11 verses. Now, this is out of the, actually the NLT version. I like the way that it reads. But write that down, Psalm 103. And I want to pray the first 11 verses. Lord, let all that I am praise the Lord. With my whole heart, I will praise his holy name. Let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things he does for me. He forgives all my sins and heals all my diseases. He redeems me from death and crowns me with love and tender mercies. He fills my life with good things. My youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord gives righteousness and justice to all who are treated unfairly. He revealed his character to Moses and his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to get angry, and filled with unfailing love. He will not constantly accuse us, nor remain angry forever. He does not punish us for all our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. For his unfailing love towards those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. Amen. Amen. Church, we're going to take communion right now. If, you, if you're out there at home, grab your supplies, whatever they are. If you're here in house and forget, maybe on the way in, on the back table, we have those. Let's celebrate that we have a God of unfailing love. God who loves you enough. Whether you know it or not, whether you accept it or not, he loves you enough to give his son for you. To allow his son, not only to allow it, but to orchestrate it on your behalf, his son, to be brutalized on the cross, to take the punishment that we deserve. And when we take the body, we are accepting that sacrifice in thankfulness that it's not us. Take the body. The blood of Christ, Jesus calls it the blood of the new covenant. Job didn't have any of those things. He just did the best he could. And he did a really good job of it. Today, we have the Holy Spirit, which will give us everything we need to navigate this life. And still, we fail more often than not. The blood of Christ is what covers us, which makes us righteous, gives us the opportunity to be the pure and righteous bride of Christ that we are called to be. Take the blood. Lord, we thank you. We praise you this day and every day. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, guys.